Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we're going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor, Thomas Wilson. He is the author of the trilogy, the Corbot Trilogy, available on Amazon.com exclusively. We're going to be talking about the first book in his series called Fremont and Sydney, a story about a bot and its boy. And if you're already wondering what this book is about, hold on to your seats because you are going to enjoy it just as much as I did. Go ahead and pick up your copy today by clicking on Amazon and buy right now with one one click, you are going to love this story. One of the reasons why I like this story is that it really creates an interesting world where you're exploring AI, humanity, sentience, soul, spirit, lots of good things are going on. So I can't wait to delve into the story in just a few moments. I want to thank you all for your support of my newest release, A Chance for Genevieve. It's available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. So make sure you go ahead and get your copy today. We want to thank our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past nine years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, Thomas Wilson. Thomas, how are you doing today? I'm well. It's good to be with you, Parker. And it's good to have you, too. I'm really excited to talk about your book. You already know how much I enjoyed it, but now I want our listeners to enjoy it, too. But before I do that, I want to peel back the veil about who you are. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I uh, uh, have been writing for several years, and my first book was actually a nonfiction book. And after writing that, I wanted to take some of the ideas that inspired the nonfiction book and actually see if I could enfold them into a fictional story. And so anyway, that's where the Corbot trilogy came from. But all of that flowed out of a very eclectic career path. I'm a husband of 41 years and a father of two great grown children, and I have six beautiful grandchildren, and I have done many things. I was associate warden of programs at Montana State Prison for several years, 23 years in corrections, but I also worked in the building trades as a young adult, as a licensed electrician. I have pastored several churches along the way bivocationally, and uh, out of all that crazy career path, I came to uh, really pour a lot of that experience into the stories that I've written. So I'm enjoying it. This season of life, I'm retired from uh, a nine to five job and am enjoying writing and and my family. It's just a good season. I came to faith at uh, 14 years of age and was baptized at age 21 and began to pursue the Lord. Really, I spent a lifetime getting to know him and uh, understand him and look forward to the next 20 years of doing the same. Amen. What I really enjoy about listening to your backstory, if you will, is the eclectic life experience that you have. A critique I listened to recently talked about how a lot of new writers in Hollywood are only trying to make 
better stories of movies they've already seen. And one gentleman said, if you really want to craft a good story, have a life experience, travel, get married, have children, do different things. That gives you life experience. But so many people experience life via the metal world, like Facebook, social media, they have YouTube channels. So all they're trying to do is garner followers and people who continue to validate their experience without having real life experience. And so I think a lot of your experience comes through in your story about Fremont and Sydney and about this Corbot world, because I can see that as you were telling me, I can see all that interwoven into your story. You actually come from a place of experience. You may not have been the homeless person. You may not have been the robot, but those emotions do come through. So kudos to you for using that backstory to help make and craft a better story. So before I get into the story itself, I want to know where did the idea for this book come from? Well, several things inspired the story. The book I mentioned earlier that is a personal development book, the nonfiction book. And in my research for that, I came across some work by the early cyberneticians like Norbert Wiener and Ross Ashby. And these men began to uh, study communication and control in the animal and machine. I think that's actually the title of Wiener's book. And so I began to study how the brain works, brain science. One of the things in corrections that we want to do is help people think better because thinking drives behavior. And so as I began to study these systems processes, I came in contact with the grandson of Ross Ashby. His name is Mick, Mick Ashby. And he has a paper uh, entitled The Ethical Regulator Theorem that's just fascinating, where he actually develops the subsystems of ethical behavior in, in his work. And I began to study that, searching for, as associate warden of programs, I, I, if I could find a clue or a tool to help men think better, then, uh, of course, that'd be very positive for not only the men, but also for their families and, and also for future non-victims. I, I always said in my career that the best way to honor victims of crime is to make sure that there are fewer of them. And so uh, these ideas began to percolate in my head. So after I wrote Authentic Man School, that's the name of the book, on personal development, then those ideas were still there. And I wondered what would it look like 7,500 years from now in the world when artificial intelligence has developed to a whole new level and how might these subsystems play into the story of humans and AI interact. And so that's, it grew out of the research I did for my job. And uh, the second, I guess, place that it grew out of is my grandchildren. I would often tell stories around the campfire, and it became kind of an event for me and my grandkids to, to share. And I created this little world unrelated to the uh, the new books, the Corbat Trilogy. But anyway, I created a, an ongoing story, like a serial that I would share with my grandchildren. And they were fascinated. They loved it. It was one of the highlights of every camping trip or every sleepover. They wanted to hear a story. And so I said, you know what? I bet I could do this on paper instead of just orally. And so that's that's where it came from, my job and my grandchildren. Interesting that you mentioned about having better thoughts and improving a person's thinking patterns, because if you can improve the thinking patterns, you hope that would improve their behavior. But this gets into the idea about free will. And that is something that pops up in this story as well, but in a very unique way. And just to give our listeners a taste of that, I want you to talk about about the concept in this book called tethering, because I want them to understand just how unique this idea that you have is. But don't give away too much, but just tell us about this process of tethering. Well, in the story, humans need a way to make sure that very intelligent robots are uh, under control. And uh, the way they do that in the story is basically through an algorithm that requires 
robots to be attached to a human responsible party and that they have to be on mission at all times. There's no free thought allowed for AI to ruminate on the vicissitudes of life because that's a dangerous thing. And in the story, that danger is spelled out in a little more detail. And uh, finally, they have to broadcast to any interested party what their mission is and who their responsible party is so that there's kind of a blockchain accountability built into the system. And so uh, every AI must be tethered to a human that is actually in control. That's how humanity deals with these very powerful machines as uh, they interact in a world where these things are are faster, uh, stronger, maybe smarter, and humans need to keep that on a pretty short tether. And that actually makes sense. Who wants to have their knife suddenly come to fruition that it's better for me to be the knife and you be the meat? (laughs) Yeah, we definitely understand the need for that. But I found that a fascinating part of this story. And so I know our listeners are just really interested in getting into the meat of this story. I want to give you guys an idea of some of the concepts that are going on behind it, because we are seeing this blending of technology and humanity in the natural sense coming together. You talked about the cyberneticist grandson that you spoke to, but in actuality, we are more and more connected to technology in ways than we ever were before. I can remember my grandmother having a pacemaker because her heart was slowing down and was beating irregularly, and this pacemaker kept her going. However, several years ago, probably 10, 12 years ago, the battery on her pacemaker was going down, and so she was having problems. And so you can't escape this blending of technology and this blending of humanity together. Technology can improve humanity's life, but at the same time, like you mentioned, you want to make sure that technology is subservient to the human mind, even if that technology is better than you are. But like you said, what happens if something like not being tethered to a human will cause problems. And so lots of good things are going on in this story. Before I go into the story, one thing, I have to give a shout out to your graphic artist. So go ahead and tell us who your graphic artist is, because when you look at this cover, it is absolutely phenomenal. Well, uh, he goes by the name Keith Draws is his professional name, D-R-A-W-S, Keith Draws. And uh, if you do a Google search, you'll find him. But he did do an incredible job and he read all three books. And the way he works is he reads the story and then that becomes his muse to create the cover and I couldn't be more pleased. I I think the cover, all three covers are really exceptional. In fact, I I made the joke that I felt pressure to make sure the story was as good as the covers, you know. (laughs) Actually, when you look at the covers, it brings you to mind of the old sci-fi covers from back in the day, like those old magazines like Weird Tales, Tales from the Other Side from back in the 1930s and 40s. It has that flair, but it's been updated. Now, another thing I thought as I looked at the cover. So Keith, you are a phenomenal graphic design artist and hopefully one day I'll have something for you to draw for me. (laughs) But until then, let's go ahead and get started into this book. Without giving away too many spoilers, tell us what Fremont and Sydney is all about. Well, Fremont Sydney is is an adventure that really includes several themes. It includes the idea of coming of age, of embracing technology. And one of the things that I've said over the years is that we all get a life of biblical proportions. Everybody. It's not just a special few to get the cool life. We all get a really cool life when we when we turn to Christ. And, and so in the story, we have these two main human characters that come into contact with a couple of non-human characters. And then circumstance puts them on 
on a great adventure, not necessarily one that they expected. And in that great adventure, they learn about sacrifice, they learn about devotion, and they learn about faith. The first book takes place really in, in a city or two. The, the second book takes place in a region, and book three takes place really uh, with worldwide ramifications. And these kids somehow found themselves in the middle of this drama in a pretty profound way. And so it's about adventure, but it's also about devotion, and it's about truth, and it's also about evil. In there, while the book is very positive, there are evil characters, and bad things happen. One of my beta readers commented that in book two, that actually a couple passages were hard to read. Now, there's nothing graphic or vividly disturbing, but just the scenario, the scene, the, the reality, the, the grief that people were experiencing. So anyway, the book doesn't shy away from, from real human experiences because the world is and can be a very dark place, and that's why we, we need the light. And so I don't think I gave away any spoilers, but that's kind of what the book is about. Anyone reading the story can see how the events that lead up to the current scenario explored in its pages can really be pulled from life. And so this book takes place in 2093. So in real life, that's about 70-something years away from where we are. So now we have these characters. We have Fremont as a character. We have Sydney as a character. And we're so used to seeing robots as emotionless beings. But somehow you were able to evoke emotion within me regarding Fremont, who is our bot here. So go ahead, tell us if we were to put Fremont in a human capacity, if he's in a, a body, what is his personality like? Well, I think uh, initially Fremont, as he was created, was very much all business. If he were a human, he would probably be a, a type A director. He had a job to do, and his world was really kind of limited to going and doing that job. But then in the story, in the very first chapter, we find out that he has suffered a cataclysmic event. And so he is uh, wounded. He is broken. And I think that, you know, Jesus came to uh, save what was lost, what was broken, uh, to restore, you know, to um, undo the works of the devil. And so in the story, Fremont really is a, is a type of person who's broken and is looking for answers. And after, after that episode plays out, now his mission changes and he's not about his military career, even though he still possesses those skills, but now he is about something deep. This whole idea about robots having a deeper meaning and deeper purpose, it really does point to us as human beings. And sometimes we can feel sympathy for electronic computers and for robots as our robotics technology gets greater and greater. We can sometimes begin to affect human personalities with robots. And that's today. I can remember that video that went viral of the robots dancing. And I'm not sure if you saw that video or not, Tom, but they were dancing. And there was something really creepy about it. When you saw that, could you almost see how here they are dancing, tomorrow they'll be declaring war? What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think you're you're right on the money. We, we are not going to stop. I don't think human beings are not going to stop. We want robots that uh, can dance. Um, if you've seen the, uh, the robots that uh, look like quadrupeds, they look like dogs or mules or, or something like that. And if you've seen them climb a staircase on YouTube video, now we are really modeling AI on life, whether it's uh, in the animal kingdom, or whether uh, it's humanoid. There's a reason why on some of the, the big blockbuster films that they include robots that really are sentient. And I think that's because that's the direction we're going. And recently in the news, Google is experiencing some of that, perhaps. So one of their 
folks believes that the AI they're working on is sentient. Elon Musk, who is in a position to know, uh, is also very concerned about where we're going with AI and has voiced his reservations in the past. So I don't think we're going to stop. I think we're going, we're going to create thinking machines that interact on a level that we will not be able to differentiate from human. Do you think it matters that we get to the point where we cannot differentiate between a human and an AI? Yeah, I do. I do think it matters. I think, uh, you know, we were created in God's image and now we're creating life in our own image. And I think, you know, if you've ever made a copy of a copy, each successive copy uh, degrades and uh, is less accurate. Uh, and so I, I think that there's real potential for us to have some of the kinds of problems in real life that, that I develop in the story. And uh, at the same token, I think technology has also done some incredible things for us. For instance, the, the technology we're using to chat now, separated by many thousands of miles, and even my ability to publish digitally, all of that is a result of technological advances. And so I think it's a mixed bag. We are more powerful in terms of Bible study, the libraries that are available to us, the ability to attend church via the internet, you know, during COVID lockdown. And, and all of these tools can be extremely powerful for good, but they can also be extremely powerful for evil. There's dark things on the web as well. And, and I think that's going to be true for artificial intelligence. I think it could be an incredible advancement in medicine and other fields. And I also think that in the wrong hands and developed wrong way, it could be incredibly subversive to, to good and to freedom. And so I think our ability to, dif to differentiate between the human and the artificial, we're going to have to find a way to do that, or we're going to open ourselves up to some real cataclysmic outcomes, I think. My next question is this. We've talked a lot about the artificial element of this story, the robots, the AI, but we need to talk about the human element. And one of the positives that people tout of making sure we develop AI is that AI is smarter. AI is better at understanding things. It can compute way faster than we can. But what is some of the things that AI has that is not as remarkable as what human beings have? What makes us better than the AI? I think in the story, as uh, Twyla and Sydney interact with the machines, it becomes clear that they have an insight and a uh, capacity for empathy and understanding and for uh, devotion or kindness that is not a natural part of the artificial world. In fact, in, in one scene, without giving away too much, there is an AI that's actually quite shocked that Twyla is kind to it, not used to being treated that way, used to being treated as a tool. And if you've ever interacted with Siri, I don't know if anybody else has ever yelled at Siri, <laughs> but there are times when I'm trying to get Siri to do something and she gets it wrong that I've yelled at her. And it's, of course, because I know that Siri is not a thinking thing. Siri is just code. But what happens when robots are sentient? They are self-aware. What might our interacting with them at that level mean? And how might kindness change their software. So I think that the, it's the humans in the story that give the story meaning. I even think that uh, the, the robots play a role where they are for lack of a better word, they're more like ministering spirits, if you if you follow what I'm trying to say. They're there, and, and they come into play at key points in the story, and they can even teach us a little bit about being human. Sometimes the robots are more human than humans in the story, but at the same time, they are learning from interacting with two really incredible innocent teenagers. Innocent, not in the sense that they haven't gone through some stuff. Both Twyla and Sydney have gone through incredible difficulties. Both are basically... On their own at a young age, but yet they still view the world with a freshness and with a expectation of success of good 
things that actually informs the robots. And so the robots really join the human adventure. And so I think the optimism of Twyla and Sydney really kind of infect the robots with a new way to approach existence. Now, Tom, what have some readers who have read Fremont and Sydney said about the story? I had a number of beta readers involved, and some of them the deck was stacked uh, uh, because they were family and friends. And so uh, they uh, really loved the story, especially my, my granddaughter, my teenage granddaughter, was delighted with books. And, of course, that made me very happy. But but it was comments from, from folks that are not friends or family that actually uh, were very encouraging to me. In fact, uh, on my website, I actually quote one of my beta readers who wrote, that when uh, he finished the story, uh, he had the same feeling that he had when he walked out of the movie theater after the first Star Wars, like what just happened to me kind of a feeling. And so I, I share his quote on my webpage because that was a pretty stunning quote, pretty high praise. And I certainly appreciated that, you know, but in the same token, I'm a, I'm a little reserved about that kind of praise. One of my reviewers said that my work reminded him of Robert Heinlein and uh, that's high praise. In me. It's like, I almost don't want people to say stuff like that. You know, let's lower the bar. <laughs> a little, a little bit here. Um, uh, but some people got it, and to be fair, there are some people that didn't, didn't get it. And so uh, your taste is a very personal thing. And there are some people that really got into the story in the series, and some others not so much. But basically, what people have told me that is they enjoyed the fast pace of the story. Several said that the story made them uh, emotional at several points. At several points, people said that they cried. And one individual that mentored me a little bit in this process is named E. M. Foner, and he is an author a published author. He has the Earth Scent Ambassador series available on Kindle. And uh, and he's a great writer, very positive writer. And uh, he actually saved my readers some tedium because he, he pointed out a couple of places where I got down in the weeds way too much. And so I went back and revisited the story based upon his feedback and made the story tighter. But anyway, he shared with me that he does not too much endorse books. He, he doesn't do that very often. And he has a lot of things that would be a red flag for him. And he even shared the list of this. If this is in the story, uh, I can't I can't be a part of it. If this is in the story, unfortunately, for me, none of those things that he would find objectionable were in the story, and he was delighted to give me a review and feedback. So anyway, E.M. Foner is his name, and I'll forever be grateful for his participation in the effort. And so uh, mostly I received really good feedback from my beta readers and I only had to do a few tweaks to the story to clean it up. And my editor, uh, the, the person who helped me make sure that I was dotting my I's and crossing my T's, Miss Barbara Hollis, she gave me much encouragement in the story as she didn't normally read science fiction, but yet found herself captivated. And so anyway, th those are the kinds of things that people told me that encouraged me to keep going. And from one book, it became two and then three. And, and here we are. Yeah, I'm familiar with Ian e. Fawner just as from someone who's looked at his book several times. I never picked up one. But I've always looked at his books because they look very interesting. So that's really, really cool that he was able to give you that insight. So thank you, EM, for helping Tom make, become a better writer. Really appreciate your insights. And I think more experienced writers should, if they can, help newer authors out there. I'm not saying it's always easy because that can get a little messy too, but kudos to him for helping you out, Tom. That's really cool. So if people want to get in contact with you, where can they find you online? Well, the probably easiest thing to do would be to go to the Facebook app and uh, search 
in the app for books by Thomas A. Wilson. And there they will find a couple of links, one link to my website where I feature my my fictional books. And it's really a chunky uh, website name. Uh, Maybe I should address that in the future. So the link is easier than trying to capture all this, but it's Tom Wilson, TomAnthonyWilson.MailChipSites.com. Anyway, and that's too wordy. Nobody should probably try to write that down. Uh, But anyway, but if you do a search for Thomas A. Wilson, books by Thomas A. Wilson on Facebook, you'll find a link to that website. And you'll also find a link to my nonfiction books there as well. And so that's probably the easiest. And uh, there'll also be a link on those sites where you could email me if you wanted. Tom, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. I really enjoyed having you, really enjoyed reading your story. In the few moments that we have left, go ahead and encourage our authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up the pen and do so. You know, I think that when God gives us a gift mix that includes writing, that he also gives us a story to tell. Uh, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, he puts something inside us that he intended to get out. I mean, isn't isn't that how we received our Bible, right? People moved by the Spirit, put things on paper that have really changed destinies. And of course, Scripture is at a whole nother level. But at the same token, entertainment, I really think, is the new door to Wittenberg Church, if you don't mind the reference to the Reformation, where we nail our ideas onto the public consciousness. Entertainment is a big deal now. And how we believe the world to be really is is codified in our entertainment. So I believe that God is probably raising up an army all over the world that will write great movies, great, great stories that will screenplays. And, and so go for it. Do it. You are that person. Maybe for, for this very day and hour, you have the story to tell. And the thing that unlocked writing for me was just the recognition, the realization that if I just write 1500 words, four or five days a week, which is not that hard to do, I can have a book in a matter of weeks. And so you just get started. You just sit down and you create a space for you to do that, either get up an hour earlier or stay up an hour later. And uh, you get those words on paper pretty soon you'll have your book. And it may change destinies as God flows through you to the hearers who might not get the message any other way. Tom, thank you. Thank you so much for being with me on the show today. I can't think of a better way to end it today. And I cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Thank you. I enjoyed being with you, Parker. I appreciate your show. And we were talking today to Thomas Wilson. He is the author of the book, Fremont and Sydney. And the full title is A Story About a Bot and Its Boy. And this is just book one of the Core Bot Trilogy. So Tom will be back so we can go through the whole trilogy together. I enjoyed the story. I know you will, particularly if you like stories that make you think, that have you bringing in current situations happening today with a future outlook, possibly happening down the line. Lots of good stuff. AI, sentience, spirituality, the soul, humanity, all of that is mixed together in this short little book that I think, rather not think, that I know you're going to enjoy. I loved what Thomas said about if you may be the ambassador to reach people's hearts through the vehicle of entertainment, because like he used the reference of Reformation, you may be the one nailing that screenplay, that book, that poem, that graphic novel to someone's heart to lead them to a relationship with Christ. It may be through the vehicle of fiction, but we all know that fiction is often a reflection of real life. We're talking about robots, but what about you? What's inside of you that needs to be born so someone can find out what must I do to be saved? So go ahead, pick up the pen and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen, Parker. Day, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day.
With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.